Hey, we're checking in with Scott Mockentune. He is the Hutchinson Area Fisheries Supervisor. We have a lot of stuff to talk about with Scott, but first of all, Scott, welcome back to the show. Good to have you in. Hey, thanks for having me. So in addition to your role as the Area Supervisor, we're going to talk about something going on in your area. Um, You're also an outdoor writer. What publications do you write for and where can we read it? Sure, folks can find me at the Mankato Free Press, and then I do uh, some freelance work here and there. Okay, and kind of just uh, all, all types of outdoor stuff, not just fishing. Yeah, get to write about uh, shooting and hunting and fishing and camping and kind of whatever. That's the beauty of it, right? You get to do get to do all those fun things. All right. Well, Scott, uh, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on today uh, is to talk about a new law that went into effect uh, regarding some areas of the state, and yours is one of them, I believe, where you can do some two-line fishing for the first time ever. Yeah, really exciting news. I know it's been a long time coming for a lot of anglers, particularly catfish and sturgeon anglers. Uh, but, you know, there's other folks on the rivers that want to be able to utilize two lines. So it goes back a long way. I'll, I'll kind of touch on it briefly here, I guess. Um, you know, my experiences, uh, and I get to wear a couple different hats like you talked about, uh, whether it's the outdoor media role or it's working for the Department of Natural Resources or, you know, my own angling interests. And, you know, I think running with a group of catfish anglers, they were pretty vocal about uh, wanting this opportunity, you know, talking about Minnesota, St. Croix rivers as being under underutilized, and that's, you know, borne out from the statistical data from creels and angler harvest and what we see in angler interviews, that there's absolutely capacity there for more fishing effort and for, for more harvest potentially. So we've got anglers that want that opportunity to throw a couple different offerings. If you're a catfish angler, a lot of times it's what we'll call passive angling. It's not an active form. And what I mean by that is, hey, if you're uh, you're throwing out a bobber, it's usually pretty passive. If you're throwing a, a, a live bait or a cut bait down on the bottom of a river, it's, it's usually passive. It's not like trolling where you're moving around. And it being a passive angling activity, you have a, a chance to really monitor uh, what's happening. You don't have to worry about a fish taking a, a live or dead bait for a long time and then swallowing it and getting gut hooked and hooking mortality and some of those issues. So when you kind of wrap all of that in together, there was always a pretty good claim uh, for anglers to, to want to be able to, to use a second line. Another thing of note, when you look around all of our surrounding states, all allow two lines. So we were kind of an island, just a, a rarity. Uh, you know, you could use them on border waters. You can use them in the wintertime. Uh, this was an opportunity for our, our, our river anglers uh, to, 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 to be able to do it, right? So you're sitting there, and I'll, I'll use the catfish example. If you're fishing flatted catfish, top-level predator in our river systems, our large river systems in Minnesota, well, uh, not all of them. They're not everywhere. They're on the northern edge of their range. So St. Croix, Mississippi, Minnesota, they're not in the red. They're not in the rainy. They're not in the St. Louis. Those places are pretty darn cold, and, and they're isolated based off of where watersheds lay down and where there's natural barriers and just the temperature again that's a warm water fish species so they're on the north flatheads are on the northern edge of their range in minnesota and you're usually throwing live bait at them it's not to say you can't catch them with with uh with dead bait or cub bait but usually it's a live bait item that's down on the bottom kicking and putting off a lot of vibration and stained water to be able to attract a, a big flathead over to to suck it up and and take the bait and that's great to throw out a live bait, but if you also want some action while you're waiting for those flatheads, it's nice to be able to throw out a cut bait. So that was always a thing, is you had to bring your buddy or you had to bring uh, a, a family member or one of your kids or a spouse or someone so you could throw that second line out to be able to 
really effectively target both channels and flatheads at the same time as far as catfishing went. And then, you know, I hear other folks, too. I remember listening to walleye anglers talking about, oh, it would be nice to, you know, be able to throw out a bobber while I'm, you know, casting a rig or doing something like that uh, just to mix it up or trying two different colors uh, perhaps. So there's, there's, a, there's a whole bevy of, uh, of reasons for, for folks to want the opportunity. And it's, you know, you can go back backwards in time and look at uh, social media in more contemporary times, but prior to that, message boards, forums, always there was discussion about two lines. And many times it was even introduced at a legislative level, uh, but never really went too far. There were a number of times it went into the omnibus bill that ended up getting vetoed. There were line item veto- vetoes. There were just times it never made it at all, and it just seemed to suffer a lot of different uh, defeats at the hands of the legislative process. Uh, it was a couple of years ago that uh, the, the agency, the Department of Natural Resources, actually brought it forward, uh, kind of an olive branch thing, like, hey, we hear you uh, anglers that have been asking for this. We're willing to open it up uh, on, a, on a set of, of, uh, of some of our major river systems. So a good chance to, uh, to finally have folks take advantage of this. And uh, I know there were folks that, at the stroke of midnight, uh, going into July 1st, we're, we're throwing that line out. So is this available in all river systems in Minnesota? Uh, it's just uh, downstream of Granite Falls on the Minnesota River, okay. uh, portion, portions of the Mississippi, and uh, I believe portions of the St. Croix. I'm not as familiar with the language for the St. Croix, but definitely if you're going to fish any of these uh, three river systems and you're interested in the second line, make sure uh, you're, you're looking up that, that language. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be uh, available shortly. But you have to understand, I know I haven't seen a lot of language on the, on the website, on the, that's the Minnesota DNR's website, but I expect that to get rectified shortly. There's been a lot of questions for it. Think about the fact that the legislative session passed and was signed into law by the governor back in May, and now we're talking about enacting this uh, July 1. So it's a pretty quick turnaround, um, but, uh, yeah, just ask for some patience that there'll be better clarification and, and more uh, uh, coverage uh, for folks to, to better understand it. And when the next set of regulation synopses comes out, it will absolutely be spelled out in there. So when you pick up your 2024 regulation booklets at the end of February, first part of March next year, uh, you'll definitely see it spelled out in there. But will uh, have some grace as this is getting uh, put up on the webpage and, and listed elsewhere. It's those river systems, two lines, and but that's for any species you're going for? That's correct. Yep, any species. It doesn't. You don't have to be just targeting uh, one or another, plus it would know, be hard to enforce that way. Well, how do I know this yeah. person is just fishing for catfish? So any species. And obviously, you know, anglers are probably saying, well, what about us up here? I mean, obviously they'd love to see it expand. Is, is there any possibility of that? You know, that's that's a good question. I think if you're you're talking to the folks that really push the hardest for this behind the scenes, they're probably going to say, well, this was the point of compromise that we could reach with the agency where they were willing to uh, put it out as a policy item and, and, you know, ultimately get it picked up in an omnibus bill uh, and, and signed by the governor, get everyone's support for it. And I think that was a 10-plus-year uh, effort. So I think those folks are probably saying, if you guys want it, you got to fight for it because we did. It's kind of that's what I imagine uh, some of those those folks that made the most noise and requested it did. So um, that's a very good question. I mean, it. I don't know what the future holds, but like I said earlier, I got done telling you that all of our surrounding states have it. Um, there's places where it's not going to work, where we have total allowable catch fisheries, um, where we have tribal co-management, or 
you know, there's instances like that where it's probably not going to be a good fit where we're trying to calculate total amount of, of heart that's going on. And all of a sudden, if it's a, if it's a multiplier by two, that sort of changes the, changes the uh, mathematics a little bit. So there's, there's places that it's not going to work and, and, you know, there's concerns in other places. This was river systems where we could comfortably say that there wouldn't be an issue. So sure. I wouldn't, I, that's one that, that's, that, you know, for it to go statewide, uh, you know, that would take some work and some, uh, some time for the agency to consider. Nobody's put that on the table yet that I've seen. So some of our other border states that have these rules, are those river-based too, or are those for lakes as well? They're, they're statewide, like South Dakota, North Dakota, Wisconsin, Iowa. Um, all of them allow two lines, summer and winter. And actually, some of them have more than two lines that are available. You know, the one caveat is I know there's a couple of counties in Wisconsin where you cannot uh, be tr- that's sort of like a trade-off, like you can't troll, and that's that. I'm, I'm. You'd have to talk to the enforcement folks out there how they, how they police that exactly. What you know, if the, immediately a, a boat goes in motion, uh, you know, under power or that sort of thing, if they don't allow it. But um, you know, most of our surrounding states do do permit it. It's not just a wintertime thing. So I guess for a lot of anglers, they're saying we're moving in the right direction. Uh, one more clarification. I mean, that's uh, that's per. Licensed anglers. So, if I, we have two people in a boat, can there be four lines then? That's correct. Yeah, it's per licensed angler. So, as long as everybody's, uh, you know, if you're a kid that doesn't require a license, or you're over the age of ninety, or any other in in between, you sort of need to, you know, between the ages of sixteen and ninety, uh, you have to have a, a Minnesota fishing license uh, while you're on the on those specific inland waters. But yeah, anyone that's uh, that's eligible for fishing each individual can throw a couple lines out okay well um obviously people are going to be taking advantage of that and probably already have uh it'll be interesting to see how it progresses from there well scott down in your neck of the woods how's the fishing been overall you know we're kind of hitting that point i always think of the first of july or the fourth of july as this inflection point where it definitely gets a lot tougher down here um we've recently received some rains uh which we we really sorely needed uh but up to that point we had been on the dry side now flirting with with classification of drought uh but not quite to that point yet but yeah just very dry and when that happens our our water levels go down a little bit it's been you know i think i've read it was the third warmest june on record our water temps warm up metabolism of the lakes just uh, kind of takes off as the summer period gets started and we come out of spring and our lakes start to get dirty down here we've got a very fertile waters down here and you know just like we can grow uh you know you may not you may not have 200 bushel corn in uh in uh, beltrami county but uh, down this way we do and our lakes show it right we get pretty green down here and things warm up we've got pretty basic basin morphology shallow prairie lakes and it gets tougher down here, without question. You think about temperatures going up. Uh, you think about uh, fish behavior changing, moving as as a result of temperature, where there's available oxygen or forage. And forage is a big one too, right? You start coming off of uh, you know the seasons. All our fish have have, for the most part, besides fall spawners, of uh, which we don't have a ton of, but they're done with they're done with spawning, right? Spring and summer spawners are for the most part done. And so your young of the year fish are out there, your minnow forage young of the year are out there. Point being, these fish are getting a little more well-fed. Uh, some of these lakes that's so productive down here, it seems like uh, all a fish has to do, a predator, you know, be it a pike, a bass, or a walleye, it seems is 
swim with their mouth open if there's enough uh, food down here. So all that is to say, if you're out there uh, pulling a crankbait or, or dragging a nightcrawler around or whatever you might be doing, it can be a lot tougher because there's in late competition. So the fishing definitely slows down a little bit, and we see that, right? We see that uh, in past creel efforts as we track how the summer progresses. And then our surrogate this year is really looking at uh, tag returns. We had a walleye tagging project on Lake Marion between Brownton and Hutchinson on Minnesota Highway 15. Uh, we got about 1,300 tags out there, and uh, we've had probably 60, 70 tags that have been turned in since fishing opener, and it was hot right out of the gate, you know, 10 or a dozen on opening weekend, and then, you know, slowly slowing as we've gone. And that's that's kind of what we would expect to see. It's usually hot and heavy fishing in May and June, and then it starts to slow down a little bit. But you can still get them. You just got to put your time in, kind of know where you're where you're going. But uh, there's there's plenty of fish down here to be caught. Well, coming up later on in the show, we have another query for the aquatic biologist. But coming up next, a lot more to cover with Scott Mockentoon, including a fast five. I'm Bruce Jean at Rainy Lake Guiding. I always like to give to those in need. That's why I'm on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, because we all know Kev Jackson is sure in need of knowledge. Hey, this is Kev Jackson of Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. You always hear commercials where they say bigger and better than ever, and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always thought I would never do that. Well, I'm doing that because the 4th Annual Lucan's Village Foods United Way Fishing Tournament really is bigger and better than ever. Now benefiting agencies in Beltrami, Clearwater, Hubbard, Cass, Aiken, and Crow Wing Counties. This means you can fish any publicly accessible lake in any of those counties. That includes Leech, the Cass Lake Chain, half of Winnie, and the Brainerd Lakes area. You choose two divisions, walleye or bass, or both, plus big fish winners in each category, and top youth finishers win a lifetime fishing license. No rules meeting, no way in. Just hit whatever lake you want and start fishing July 22nd and 23rd. All you need to do is download the Fish Donkey app, search for United Way Fishing Tournament, and get registered. $200 per two-person team, and it all goes to the United Way and the great work they do in Paul Bunyan country. Go to uwfishingbemidji.com for more. The Lucas Village Foods United Way Fishing Tournament, also sponsored by DS Beverages, Coca-Cola, First National Bank Bemidji, Gustafson & Gooch, Hubbard Radio North, and Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. I'm Kevin Cochran, and you're listening to Fishing Paul Bunyan Country. Scott Mockentoon is my guest today, outdoor writer for the Mankato Free Press, as well as the Hutchinson Area Fisheries Supervisor. Scott, where have you been fishing? You know, I've, I've made the rounds a little bit, and I usually do. Uh, I got up for a Boundary Waters canoe trip with mm. some friends. Uh, we had pretty darn good fishing up there, particularly the latter half once we moved campsites a little bit. Uh, found a found a found a a rock reef that was the the topped out at about eight or nine feet that was the size of a dinner table and the walleyes were all crowded around that uh, so that was a nice little find you know when you're up there without really intricate maps and you know real basic electronics to find something like that is finding the needle in a haystack uh, that was a good trip I've been out on the river a little bit even able to take advantage of the two lines and then the bigger one has been uh, just taking my girls out, uh, bass fishing of all things. We're taking part in the uh, Lund uh, Virtual Angling League and uh, chasing bass, and that's what we'll be doing uh, weekend after next. We'll be uh, taking the family vacation up to the end of the Gunflint Trail in Cook County, and then uh, we're going to go find a bass lake for a day to see if we can put some smallmouth uh, on the board and, and, nice. and try to keep fishing with that. So I would encourage folks uh, just to give, I'll give that program a plug just to say that uh, the best thing, you know, this is for ages five through graduated seniors, 
anybody can sign up. You have to go through some of the hoops, but ultimately the best part about it is you're going to put a date on the calendar that you're committed to fishing. And when it comes to your kids, uh, we all get busy these days. It's a it's a good reason to, to find time to fish. Well, in general terms, uh, if we're going out walleye fishing this time of year, uh, what in general terms should we be doing and where should we be looking? Well, for our walleye anglers down here, and I, I try to talk to a few of them that have, have returned some of those tags, um, you know, as even though we have the stained waters, there still is that whole uh, activity in and around uh, sunrise and sunset. So uh, folks have been doing well on, on in those periods, uh, even even some nighttime fishing, even with the stained water, doing a little better that way, getting those fish uh, to move up a little shallower out of out of deeper water. Uh, the other one, at least for us down here, is paying attention to where the thermocline or metalimnion is. Uh, so when you think about lake stratifying, and this is true across the state, if we've got deep enough lakes that are stratifying, uh, where does that oxygen cut out? And, you know, every lake is going to be a little bit different. It's hard to do without a, you know, we've got a scientific probe here at work. We've got a probe that we can drop down foot by foot and track you know, for the average person, some folks that are running electronics uh, might be able to pick up a little density difference uh, where that thermocline is. But um, I don't know. We're probably, I don't know, we see it anywhere from 9 or 10 feet down to 15, 16, 17, depending on our lakes down here. But I bring that up just to say that we don't have enough oxygen below those depths, right? Once you once you rush through uh, that thermocline and you're down into the, the, the hypolimni in the lower portion of the lakes, there's just not enough dissolved oxygen for fish to hang in that area. So as much as everybody wants to push deep, um, you know, you got to be thinking shallow too or, as well because that's where the food is and available oxygen is. And, yeah, the water might be warm, but don't, don't, uh, don't rule it out. Put some time, casting, put some time in casting to, to shore, uh, to shallow water, hitting rocks, uh, hitting weed lines. We may not have the same pronounced weed lines down here that you have in Brainerd, Bemidji area, but uh, you can still find fishing in those areas. From your perspective, both as a fishery supervisor and an outdoor writer, what are some of the things you're seeing out there that concern you right now? Well, to be honest, uh, the first thing that pops into my head, we've talked around here, is we were really blessed with uh, winter kill. And now that might seem like a misnomer to folks, but... It sort of depends. There's places where you have stable lakes that when you see winter kill is kind of a bummer. And we had a few lakes that fit that description, three or four. Uh, but we also have a lot of shallow lakes and rearing ponds that got cleaned out this past year. And uh, winter kill wiped the slate clean for us, and we're excited about that. But the one thing that does concern me when you ask me about concerns is June was very warm. If July and August are as warm as June are and we don't get precipitation, we enter a third consecutive year of drought, uh, we could be dealing with some summer kill in those ponds. And all of that, all of that winter kill that we experienced in that clean slate and getting excited, that could all be for naught if we had a lot of uh, fish production, walleyes in particular in some of these rearing ponds and it really cooks in July and August and we don't get precip, uh, precipitation, then our, our ponds go down, the temperatures go up, and then they go into low oxygen, particularly at nighttime, and we experience winter kills. So those real heat waves that come through, and there's no wind blowing, and everybody's sweating to death out there, that's really hard on fish, too, because we don't have the wind uh, pushing things around, adding oxygen to the water, and we can actually run into deficits, and we can see some summer kills. So that hits northern pike down here especially hard. There are cool water fish species if the temperatures get too high, and then our rearing ponds. If, if we've got small fish that are somewhat vulnerable, they can to come to that so 
you know, they say that worrying is kind of like a rocking chair. It's something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Uh, that's, that's, that's the idea. It's, like I, it's in the back of my mind that it could happen, but I have no control over it. And, Scott, um, besides electronics, because we could always talk about electronics and new electronics, so, you know, if we talked about it and waited five minutes, we'd have a new one to tell you about. But um, right. besides electronics, anything new out there you've been using that you kind of like? Oh, I get to play with a few toys. I'll tell you, it's, I wouldn't say this is new for anyone, but uh, just down the road in Brainerd, uh, Fishhawk is a is a company that's operating down there. They've got a little product called a TD. This is a probe that you can drop down. We were talking earlier about the challenges of finding a thermocline, of finding where that water rapidly changes. This device you can hook up to your uh, fishing line, put a little weight on it, and drop it down. And I was excited to be able to play around with this a little bit this year. Took it into the boundary waters, uh, had plans, you know, we're going to troll for lake trout. We need to know exactly where we need to present those baits, put it on a line counter reel, and figure out where we need to put those baits down to. And uh, that device was perfect for that. And now, you know, thinking a little bit more, we just got done talking about lake stratification. It's the same idea. If you want to know exactly where that oxygen is cutting out or where that uh, metalemnion is if you can't find it on your graph this is a little device that you could use so i played around with that a little bit uh otherwise it's been uh i don't know we've been throwing a throwing a lot of uh plastics uh whether it was sinkos or creature tubes or or uh crayfish imitations at, at our bass lately and we haven't had to change the presentation too much but now as i head to northern minnesota and get into uh, oligotrophic, uh, really clear water lakes with smallmouth. I think we're going to have to try some drop shotting or, or uh, maybe even do some crankbaits or something a little bit different to catch bass. So there's a few different toys uh, when it comes to tackle and technique that I've been playing around with and, and will into the month of July. All right, Scott, before we wrap it up, are you ready for a fast five? I'll, I'll do another fast five, you bet. All right, here we go. Scott Mockentoon, fast five. Test. Five, 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 five. Question number one: Dogs or cats? Oh, definitely a dog person. We, uh, I've, <laughs> we've got, we've got a black lab, uh, second one in our household now, and we're hunters, so we put her to good use. And all my friends that have small dogs, I say, well, it's pretty much a cat, you know. <laughs> so I'm, we're, def- <laughs> we're definitely dog people. All right. Okay. Question number two, what is Scott Mockentoon's favorite pizza topping, and where is his favorite place to get it? Oh, boy. You know what? Uh, I'm a fan of uh, pepperoni, if I have to just pick one topping. And uh, I like, uh, oh, there was a checkerboard pizza company when I went to school at the University of Minnesota. They had really good pizza. Um, Stopped in at Pizzeria Lola in Minneapolis, you know. Uh, they've been in the news quite a bit. They you know, the, had she won uh, a James Beard Award for her pizza. Oh. So if you can get in and get a pizza there, it, it may not be pepperoni. There's a lot of really unique offerings she has, but that's definitely worth a stop. All right. Question number three: What is the biggest fish you've ever caught? Oh, biggest fish. Let's see. I'm gonna go with. Uh, Lake Sturgeon on the Rainy River for, for fresh water. I think that's bigger than my saltwater entries as well. We've caught some sharks, uh, black tips, and that sort of thing, but I don't think they're as big. And that was probably a 70-pound Lake Sturgeon. Wow. 
Well, I, I would say 80% of my answers have been Lake Sturgeon on the rainy. That has been. <laughs> that, up in this neck of the woods, that seems to be a common place to get your biggest fish. And All right. you know what? The yeah. more the more I think about it, I, doing I'm doing the math in my head. That was 70 is a little too rich. That's probably about low 60s. We'll call it. So okay. I don't want to be caught. I don't want to be caught exaggerating like every other angler. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number four. You have been sentenced to uh, fishing purgatory. That means you get to fish every day for all of eternity, but only on one lake. What lake will that be? Oh, boy. That's a good one. I think it's probably going to be Mille Lacs, just because of the diversity of offerings out there, right? You can fish walleyes, you can fish smallmouth, you can fish uh, muskies, large northern pike, there's big crappies. I mean, for a multi-species fishery, that's probably my place. Okay. And finally, question number five. Scott Mock and Toon back in his school days, came home from school, got his one hour of TV at night. What was his favorite show to watch? Oh, man. All right. So this is how nerdy I am. The correct answer to that, uh, you know, if I don't know what, what, uh, what it would be on any given night, but on Friday nights it was the X-Files. Because there was, like, the extra... Ter- there was, there was the, uh, the crypto... The cryptozoology side of it, there was all the weird animals, there was the paranormal activity, but there was the science side of it. So if you were an aspiring scientist, you probably got hooked in by that television show. The X-Files, Scott Mockentoon's go-to show. So maybe this uh, this whole fisheries thing is a front for what you're really investigating. <laughs> when I was a kid, right? Well, yeah, science fiction. Back then, people got to remember, back then there was about four television channels to choose between. <laughs> We didn't have cable. So. That's fact. All right, Scott. Well, listen, uh, if people, again, want to read your stuff, where can they get that? Yeah, I would just send folks to the Mankato Free Press. And if you have anything that's related to fish management, I'm always happy to help out. You can email us at hutchinson.fisheries at state.mn.us. What's your latest stuff you've been uh, working on? We've been busy with lake survey on the day job and uh, kind of a little bit of work. We did some paddlefish monitoring on the Minnesota River. And, uh, you know, for, for getting out and fishing, uh, and, and writing, it's, uh, you know, I've got a lot of stuff lined up here on fishing and let's see, we've got another few more coming up, uh, with some fishing guides. So it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Scott Mockentoon, he is the Hutchinson area fisheries supervisor, outdoor writer for the Mankato Free Press and all around great guy. Scott, thanks for being here today. We appreciate it. Thanks, Kev. Coming up next, inquiring minds want to know about stocking. Dr. Andrew Hafes of Bemidji State University has the answer. Hi, this is Chuck Haffey on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, doing my part to keep Kev Jackson employed for another year. It is time to ask the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andrew Hafes, another I don't think this is a difficult question, but another question that one of his students posed. Um, he is, of course, the aquatic biologist at Bemidji State University. Andy, welcome back. Thank you. So let's let's talk about this one. And again, it's uh, it seems to me like a no-brain answer. What is the most stock fish in Minnesota? Well, I'm guessing it's a walleye. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I gotta think so. <laughs> yeah, right? To be honest, I've never actually read in uh, to the stocking reports and things like that. But that's uh, I'd be shocked if it is not that. You know, the walleye is a is a fish that when I talk to and I do my lakes of the week over the years, I mean, uh, it's almost 
I'd say at least 60% of the lakes they're stocking walleyes in. You know, even ones that don't seem to be doing well, they keep trying to. So it seems to me that's the one. Yeah. I, I mean, when we did the OTC marking where they're marking little, you, you immerse some fry in a chemical that puts a ring inside of their bones so we can see if they're stocked or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we did that study on Andrusia with the Bemidji area office here, like they were stocking millions of fish just in that one system. So yeah. statewide, um, stocking those fry in terms of just sheer numbers, that's got to be it. And it's just – I. That'd be a really fun number to figure out sometime. Is it in the billions of, of fish that are stocked of, of walleye statewide? That oh, wouldn't surprise me a bit. It's got to be, yeah. isn't it? I mean, I, you know, the only other fish, there's there's two other fish that, that I hear stocking done with. And, and one of them, of course, is muskie, which has been stocked in a number of lakes around this area and certainly around the state. And the other one that's starting to be, uh, that they're working on uh, in the Red River Basin and now in Red Lake is sturgeon. Sure. Um, those are the only two that I can think of besides walleye that that are serious stocked fish in the state of Minnesota. Yeah, I think there's some salmonids or, you know, like the trouts that are... Yep, yep you're right. That yep. happens, yep. And then uh, I'm pretty sure there's some whitefish stocking that goes along, goes around okay. in the area as well. So, yeah, there's a few, few out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but walleye is the one that, that, well, it's what people want, and that's the one that really... In, in the vast majority of Minnesota lakes can probably do well, or not in a majority of Minnesota lakes can do well, and that's why they continue to stock them there. Um, I'm trying to think, like, you know, when it comes to Northern Pike, it's usually you, they want you to get, you know, catch a bunch of them <laughs> and get them out of there so they can grow. And uh, it was, you don't hear a lot, uh, even when they're, you know, trying to get uh, uh, panfish going again, it's, it's more uh, uh, they change the limits than actually stocking panfish in a lake. Yeah, I think that's... Uh evidence of the success that the individuals can have in the lake. So panfish and, and yellow perch and things like that, they can produce a lot of eggs. They're really good at the reproduction stage in the lake ecosystems. Um, it's just a challenge to maybe get them to the catchable size. Whereas in the, the walleye, I think the opposite is probably the problem where in some of these, a lot of these systems, it's the actual young, the production of the young, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's just differences in their life histories and you know how panfish and yellow perch and things like that are really good at that stage one of the interesting things about um stocking fish is that it is it is basically consumer driven right i mean um lakes are lakes and they would go about and do what they do um but it's you know, a bunch of people on the lake say, I, I'd really like to have walleye here. Or a lot of uh, people in the community say, we want to go fish walleye. I mean, it's it's for the sport angler. That's why we stock fish, right? People really like walleye. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying, yeah. But I, so in my undergrad, I had a really good um, advisor who taught fisheries management. I can remember him teaching that it's supposed to be a Band-Aid where you fix problem. You, you stock the fish until you're address the problem and fix it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was kind of my mentality uh, growing up, and that's my training that I've had, is that stocking is supposed to be a tool to help you get where you need to be until the issues can be resolved. In some situations, maybe we can't resolve those issues and stock use stocking is, is mandated forever, but that's not a situation we want to be in, in my opinion. Right. right. So, Well, and I think if you look at the traditional strong walleye fisheries where it's great, where it can have great natural reproduction, 
that's what happens. That's what happened on red. You know, they're not stocking there anymore. They're stocking very little, if any, on leach these days, too. Cass has a limited amount, but, you know, Cass and Bemidji are pretty much, you know, their own thing, too. What I've talked to with a couple of the the, uh, biologists in certain areas, they say certain lakes, they've got everything a walleye needs, except they don't have the, the strong beds for egg laying and, 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 and natural reproduction. But if you introduce them in in a fingerling state, they got the food, they've got yeah. everything they need, and so that's that's why they do it. Yeah, that's interesting. The other thing that you reminded me of, too, is that I can remember that same advisor uh, that I had saying that if you wanted to go fish for walleye, you should go try to find the lakes that are not stocked because those are probably the ones that are really thriving. And those that are stocked, there's probably some issues or something going on. So that always stuck with me, too, as well. If you think about Lake Bemidji and Leech and Red, the ones that you, you know, some of the good walleye fisheries, that's the case, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need to stock them. Things are thriving. It's all about, you know, management of how many are harvested uh, that's required. So, Yeah, I mean, uh, Red was an over-harvest situation. Leech was a weird one. There was some over-harvest. Certainly it's a very popular lake, but it was also um, a strange case of very strong uh, bird populations that were eating uh, small perch and walleyes. It was affecting everything. Yeah. So that was one that needed to be as you noted um repaired and it was and now it's it's doing what it's got to do yeah those are perfect examples right there was something that was wrong it was addressed stocked to help recover it and now it's not needed anymore that's optimal uh, obviously some situations that's not going to be the case all right talking stocked fish with dr andrew Haves, the aquatic biologist at Bemidji state university andy thanks for being in today thanks for having me Well, we'll call it good for today. As always, thank you for taking the time to be here and hear what's going on. We really do appreciate it. And I appreciate my guest today, of course, Dr. Andrew Hafes of Bemidji State University and Scott Mockentune of the Hutchinson Area Fisheries Office, as well as the Mankato Free Press. Coming up tomorrow, Mr. Muskie, Kevin Cochran of Kevin Cochran's Muskie Guide Service, and our Lake of the Week. Fish hail! Bumborn, yeah! Country! Country! Kev, I love your show. I love listening to it always.